Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series on prayer right now called Praying for a Change. Now, many of us are praying for something to change, but we aren't sure how to do it. Others of us barely pray and need to start praying for a change. This series is intended to help with both. So come learn with us as we develop a hunger for God in prayer, as well as some practical tools to help us pray better. And as always, if you need anything, please find us at our website, tablechurchdsm.org. Now please enjoy this week's teaching. If you have a Bible with you today, would you join me in 1 Kings? If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just raise your hand high and somebody will bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep the one we give you. We just want you to have a copy of Scripture. So 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 9. Um, And as you turn there, I just want to let you know about a few things. God is doing something. And I can't really describe it any more than that. Something. Um, There's just been a hunger among people in our church to press deeper into prayer. I could give specific examples, unconnected examples of people who are just on fire for prayer right now. God moving in some really cool ways throughout our congregation. Last week, there was a number of people loosely connected who were fasting and praying for this church and for our community, just hungry, just wanting more of God. And it's pretty cool to see. Uh, And last week, we started a prayer series, and you might remember I said, we actually cut our previous series short because I just felt so like we needed to get to this series. And so I, I actually had a sermon written that I scrapped in order to get to this one sooner. And and last week we announced a prayer class uh, that we're going to start the end of March. And I think we had maybe more people sign up for that class than I remember ever having anyone sign up for anything like that in Table Church's history. There's just a hunger uh, for prayer and for God and to know him and to experience him right now. And you know, the thing is that whenever God starts to raise the spiritual temperature among a people, a lot of times there are people who lower their spiritual temperature. Like when some people start to lean in, sometimes others will start to lean away and disengage. I don't know exactly why that is, but I've seen it happen a lot. And maybe it's because somebody will see one person start to get on fire and they think, well, I don't have that. I don't feel that. There must be something wrong with me. I don't know. And, And so they kind of disengage or lean out. So don't do that. Okay, like whatever God has for us in store in this next season, let's all go and experience it together as a family. And I know that sometimes you got in this church, that's super okay. I'll just say this, what God is going to do in this room, you can, God can meet you in a podcast. I do, I do believe it, but I don't think it will be the same. I want you here to experience it, what God's about to do in our church. Okay. So, 1 Kings 19, 3 through 9. Before we get to that, um, I've started to believe that we Midwesterners, we Iowans, have a disadvantage when it comes to prayer. Let me explain. I'm sure that you've heard of the phenomenon called Iowa nice. Ever heard that phrase, Iowa nice? Apparently, we Iowans are rather hospitable and cordial and kind. But we may have a seething, passive-aggressive tendency just below the surface that we don't often reveal. We don't always say exactly what's on our minds, apparently. That's what Iowa nice is all about. 
The reason this is a disadvantage in prayer is because one of the defining characteristics of biblical prayer is how embarrassingly honest it can be. Our churches, are we're so used to these button-down prayers that would look nice embroidered on a pillow. And don't get me wrong, there are lots of prayers like that in the Bible, um, but I think most of them aren't. What we find in the scriptures is we find Moses whining to God about the fact that he has to lead these these wayward people. He says, what am I? Did I give, give birth to these people, he says? Like, God, what did, I, what did I do to make you so mad that I have to lead these people? That's what Moses says to God. We find Jeremiah, who's accusing God of lying to him. He says, you have deceived me, God. We have David begging God to kill his enemy's children. We even have Jesus saying, Father, please take this cup from me. Look, prayer is a lot of things, but one thing it is not is Iowa nice. The thing I want us to learn today is that real prayer is real prayer. You know what I mean? Like real prayer is the kind of prayer where we are real with God. We were like gut level honest with God. That's real prayer. He wants us to be honest and authentic. Now, we pray corporate prayers to the church, often here at Table Church. We've done it twice already today. We prayed a collect uh, from the Book of Common Prayer, and we've prayed the Lord's Prayer. These are prayers that have been written, written long ago, have been prayed thousands, millions, billions of times probably by Christians all around the world. And uh, I think that's really important. I think there could be more room for that in the church. Because what that does is it helps us kind of center ourselves on God, keeps us kind of theologically responsible uh, in our prayers, helps us kind of join in the communion of saints all around the world, all throughout history, what they've been praying for. But as long as it doesn't come at the expense of honest prayer as well, of getting before the Lord, just you and him, and being honest with him about what's really going on. God wants your whole heart. I put it like this. Breakthrough with God cannot happen until we are honest before God. Breakthrough with God cannot happen. Maybe I'd say usually doesn't happen. I don't want to put God in a box. Breakthrough with God usually doesn't happen until we are honest before God. Trappist monk Thomas Merton said, God is far too real to be met anywhere other than in reality. Real prayer is real prayer. It doesn't get much more real than Elijah's prayer that we just heard. He says, he came, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have, I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Okay, he literally prays that he would die. Look, I hope you've never been in a dark, dark place where you've prayed that prayer, but I know people that have prayed that prayer before. Now, what's surprising about this prayer coming out of the mouth of Elijah is that it takes place immediately after Elijah has actually, actually experienced this tremendous victory. Just one chapter earlier, he challenged hundreds of prophets of the false god Baal and, and uh, Asherah, and, and he says, let's have a showdown. Let's see whose god is real. And so meet me on Mount Carmel, he says. They go out to Mount Carmel, and, and they each build an, an altar. He says, you build your altar, I'll build mine. You pray to your god, I'll pray to mine. Whichever god sends fire from heaven is the true god. And so the prophets of Baal go first. They build their altar, they put the bull on there, and then they start to pray, and nothing happens. And so they start to shout, and still nothing happens. And so they start to dance. And now Elijah starts making fun of them. He says, shout louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. And soon they start to cut themselves in this desperate attempt to get their God 
to finally pay attention and to hear their prayer. They go on like this for most of the day, and of course, nothing happens. And so then uh, Elijah steps up. He says, okay, enough. My turn. He builds his altar. He says, get some water. They build, but they dig a trench around the altar. They pour so much water on this altar that it fills the trench. This thing is so soaking wet. And then the mighty prophet Elijah steps up and he prays this, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Answer me, Lord, so they will know that you are God and you are turning their hearts back again. And suddenly there's a flash from heaven and fire falls and consumes the, the sacrifice, the wood on the altar, the stones of the altar. It even laps up all the water in the trench. And all the people in Israel see this and they fall face down in repentance before God. And you know what? This isn't the only miracle in that chapter either. As if that weren't enough. There had been a famine for, for three years and pretty soon a little storm cloud starts to form in the distance and it gets bigger and bigger and soon God sends rain on the land after they turn their hearts back to him. Look, this is what we call a good day in ministry. You know? Like, the enemy's defeated, the people repent, Elijah signs a book deal. Four steps to prevailing in prayer or something like that is what it would be called. And so... This is a good, everything's going according to script, but suddenly things take a very confusing turn. Elijah gets a message from the evil queen Jezebel, and she says, hey, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. See, she's not happy that he, that he dunked on her prophets. She says, this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. Now, it seems to me like Elijah has all the momentum in the story at this point, you know? Like, I would like to see Elijah laugh in the face of that messenger and say, hey, you go tell your little Queen Jezebel uh, that she's the one who should be scared. You know what I mean? But that's not what happens. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. The mighty prophet Elijah is running for his life. The same guy who just stood before hundreds of prophets of Baal, who believed God for fire from heaven, is afraid for his life because of one little threat. It seems to me that, you know, Elijah didn't have anything to be afraid of. It's like, come on, man, where's your faith? Apparently it's gone now. Like, I don't know why Elijah gets so uncharacteristically scared, but you know what? I do know the feeling. I know the feeling of having seen God do it here, but not being so sure he'll do it here. Maybe that was a fluke, you know? Maybe I am misremembering it. Maybe that was just me. And maybe now, God is not with me anymore. I know the feeling, for whatever reason, to just run out of faith. In fact, sometimes the crash happens right after a really awesome season of ministry. One person put it like this, there is always the battle you fight after the battle you win. I know what it's like to have an amazing type of ministry on Sunday and then you crash on Monday. It doesn't make sense, but that's often the way it goes. And so Elijah prays to God. He says, take my life. He's at the end of his rope. Now, I want you to notice something about, about this prayer. God does not rebuke Elijah for his prayer. He doesn't say, come on, man. Did you see what I just did 10 minutes ago? You know, like, why are you so scared, man? Come on, buck up, son. Where's your faith? He doesn't do any of that, does he? You know what God does? He gives Elijah a snack and lets him take a nap. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head 
was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Do you ever feel like your prayers just aren't proper enough? Aren't holy enough? That you're not praying for the right thing. You, there's this thing over here you should be praying for. You kind of want to pray for this, but that doesn't seem very appropriate. And so you just kind of go and you pray for that instead. Or maybe if you're like me, it's just like you kind of don't really pray at all because you kind of feel silly. Here's the problem. The Bible is packed with prayers that seem a little foolish to us now, but didn't to the person praying. It's easy to look back at Elijah and be like, come on, Elijah. Where you at, man? But you know what? God always meets them there. Listen, if you've never made a fool of yourself in prayer, you've never really prayed. If you've never made a fool of yourself in prayer, like it could be that you've never really prayed. Because real prayer is real prayer. And it seems like God isn't usually in the business of busting through our pretentious shields. You know? Like if we just want to hang out in the shallow end... God doesn't usually pick us up and drop us in the deep end against our will. Again, I'm saying usually. God can do what he wants. But I'm just saying, I think that's generally the way it goes. If we just want to be in the waiting pool, you know, like, okay, that's fine. If, if it's, for us, it's just, you know, a mumbling of prayers, I stumble into work. Okay. And that will probably roughly be the way that, you know, the, the way that my relationship with God looks, more or less. But if we're willing to just be gut-wrenchingly honest with God, then when, you know, when we rage at Him, or we, we weep with Him, or we laugh with Him, or we even whine to God, you know what? That's often where we get surprised. When we are finally honest about what's actually here, that's often where we get surprised in prayer. And what's surprising is, is how remarkably often God just meets us there, and when He starts to meet us in prayer, then He can start to shape our prayers. It's almost like... Our honest prayers, it's like the clay that God can finally use to start to mold us, start to do something with us. Like God's got to start somewhere. He's got to have something to work with. And he's got nothing to work with other than your honesty. God doesn't want your pretentiousness. He doesn't want your false prayers. He doesn't want your false humility. He wants what's really going on in your heart. And from there, he can start to work with it. I had a moment like this not long ago, on February 7th to be exact. It was in my journal. February 7th, I had a prayer that I was going to pray. I was feeling fired up. And I'm like, okay, God, let's do this. And um, I knew it felt a little, bit, a little bit selfish, a little bit worldly. I don't know. I'll tell you what it was. It was a prayer for, um, for a number of a, an attendance number at Table Church by the end of the year. I was like, Lord, I'll see this number of people at Table Church on Sunday by the end of the year. And I also have this many people to come to the Lord by the end of the year, Lord. And I know it's not about the numbers. What do I say? You know, Phil, it's, it's about faithfulness. It's about obedience to the Lord. That's what, that's what success in ministry is, Phil. I get that. But I'm like, come on, Lord. I know you want to do something through Table Church. Let's go. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to claim it in the name of Jesus. I'm going to claim that number in the name of Jesus. So I'm like, okay, God. And you know what happened? It's never anything like this happened before. I felt this, I just felt this tremendous resistance to my prayer. Like God's saying, hold on a second, Phil. It's like, okay. And I felt like God was telling me, but he said, Phil, you can pray that prayer, but not yet. He said, 
First, I want, you to, I want you to pray for the victims of the earthquake in Turkey, in Syria. That had just happened at this point. Thousands of people dead. I want you to pray for the victims and the families. And then he said, I want you to stand up. I want you to look out the window of your ministry center at Edmonds Elementary. I want you to lift your hands out towards Edmonds Elementary. I want you to pray over that school and the families and the students and the staff. That's what I want you to pray right now. I will tell you when you can pray that prayer. Today, I need you to pray that prayer. Okay. And it continued on like that for about a week until I finally felt a release to pray my prayer for, for an attendance number, for salvations at Table Church. And so I have been ever since. But do you see what God did there? He didn't make fun of my prayer. He didn't say, you know, Phil, that's a little card. I'll certainly not about the numbers. I mean, you should just be really worried about being faithful and obedient to me. I'll bring the number. I'll do it. You know, it's my church. He didn't do that. In fact, he kind of made me feel like, look, we're in this together. But I'm going to take your honesty, Phil, and I'm going, to, I'm going to use that in order to show you what you need to be praying right now. I'm going to give you my heart, and the only way I can do that is when you're actually vulnerable with me. I'm going to give you my heart for prayer right now in this moment. I'm going to use you as an intercessor. But he didn't make fun of my prayer. He didn't tell me it was wrong. He just took that moment where he had my attention and he used it to teach me. And that's exactly what he's going to do with Elijah too. After his nap, God strengthens him and he tells him to travel to another mountain. In chapter 18, we got Mount Carmel. In chapter 19, we got another mountain. It's called Mount Horeb. Now, a lot of scholars think Mount Horeb is the same mountain as what's otherwise called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses met with God and got the Ten Commandments. And another thing happened in Mount Sinai. Uh, God put Moses in the cleft of a rock and said, I'm going to pass by. Just could, you just let him see the backside of God because he's going to kill him if you see anything else. He said, I'm going to pass by Moses. Moses had that experience with God on Sinai. And, and so now we have these parallels. We say God saying to Elijah, go to Horeb. I'm going to put you in another cave. And look what happens. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So pause for a second. Look at that question that God asks Elijah. What are you doing here? Basically saying, what's going on? What's going on inside you right now, Elijah? And Elijah just kind of spills the beans, just spills his guts to God. I wonder if it wouldn't be a good practice for us to start prayers with that question from God. What are you doing here, Phil? What's really going on? What burdens you today? What is heavy on you today? These are all wrapped up in that question. What are you doing here? And once again, Elijah is honest with God. I've done everything you asked, he says, but I'm scared and I'm alone. And so now here on Mount Horeb, Elijah is about to have another experience with God like he did on Mount Carmel, but it's a very different experience, and that difference is crucial for us today. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came... A gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. You know, Elijah, 
you get the impression that he's kind of an all-or-nothing kind of guy. And after what happened on Carmel, I bet you when that fire came, when that earthquake came, when that wind came, he's like, oh, boy, this is going to be good. God's coming. And then God reveals himself in a way that Elijah may not have expected. This might be a little new for Elijah. There's this gentle whisper business. But it's what he, it's what he needed. I think most Christians fantasize about having a Mount Carmel experience with God. I know I do. Like, I want God to shake the ground, to silence the doubters and the skeptics, and, you know, like fire from heaven. That's what I want. But there's something true about the spiritual life. Mount Carmel experiences often don't create lasting change. You ever notice this? I don't know why this is, but it's not, it's not always the case, but it's often the case. Spiritual highs often lead to spiritual lows. And that's what happens with Elijah. But Mount Horeb is different. On Mount Horeb, God reveals himself in a different way. He meets us in our weakness. On Mount Horeb, God meets us in our vulnerability, in our honesty, even when it's embarrassing to us. God meets us in it, and he comes to us in a still, small voice. He asks us, what are you doing here? What's really on your heart today? Listen, power from God is nothing compared to a personal encounter with God. All the fireworks and all the earthquakes in the world have nothing on a personal encounter with the living God. Even if it's just in a, in a gentle whisper. Look, I've had some Mount Carmel experiences in my life. I've seen God do some stuff, like some bizarre stuff. You can't explain it outside of like, that was God, you know? I've been through stuff in ministry where it's like, put that on the cover of ministry magazine or something. Like crazy stuff, but you know what? None of it even remotely compares to the dozens, if not hundreds, of little interactions, little things that God has done that I can't even share with you. They're written in my journal, but I can't even explain it to you because it wouldn't make sense to you. It makes sense to me, and I'm sure you have the same stories. That is the stuff that God does to us that's so meaningful. And what the, what the mighty Elijah needed was for God to whisper to him, to let him rest, Give him a snack. And you know what? He goes one more. You know what he does? He gives him a friend. Remember how he says, I'm, I'm all alone. I'm the last one. Well, that's actually not true. He just talked to Obadiah not long ago. Obadiah's still out there at the very least. He's not the last prophet. But he feels like he is, apparently. Feels like he's the last one. So God says, okay, go anoint Elisha and bring him along with you. He gives him a friend, too. This is good parenting advice, by the way. Your kid's a little dysregulated. Give him a snack and a nap. Don't yell at him. You know? Like, this is just God giving us some good stuff here. I believe none of this would have happened if Elijah had lied to God. I'm good. What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm just hanging out. I'm good. No, what are you doing here, Elijah? God wants us to be honest with him. Real prayer is real prayer. And so that's the challenge today is to be real with God. Some of you don't even know what's heavy on you right now. Some of you don't even know what you're feeling. You just need to ask God to say, God, what is this weird ball of wax that I've got inside of me? I can't even name it. I don't know what it is. Help me parse it a little bit. You just need to get quiet with God and let him sort through and say, this, this is the nerve right here. Some of you need to ask God to make clear what you're feeling in the first place. And some of you know what you're feeling, but you don't feel like it's holy enough to say it to God. Some of you are feeling a little jealous of somebody at work right now, and you're like, I just got to get over it. No. Real prayer is real prayer. 
Because when you start to tell God that you're jealous that that guy got the promotion and you didn't or whatever, you know what God might do? He might help you love that person. But he needs something to work with first. He needs something to work with first. As we are honest with God, even when we feel silly about it, something amazing happens. You start to level up. You start to take upon yourself the heartbeat of God. I think that might be what happened to me that day in my office. God said, you know what, that's not bad, but let me give you something else for just a second. And we start to taste and see what God's heart really is. So what's on your heart today? Maybe it's time to tell God about it. Maybe for the first time. And to not feel guilty about it. To know that God really wants to hear it. When I pick my kids up from school, they get in the car, and if they had a bad day, and they tell me about it, I'm not going to be like, you know what? You know how many other worst things are going on in the world right now? Come on, get over No, I would never do that. So if you want to grow in intimacy with God, start to be real with Him. Real prayer is real prayer. And the amazing thing is that you can, you can start this very moment. Let's be done with Iowa nice when it comes to our prayers. And so as we sing this last song, I have a little, a little prayer exercise that I want to invite you into. Would you please stand? And I want you to take a minute and just ask, what's here? What are you doing here? God's asking you that question. What are you doing here? So for example, do you have a heavy burden in your heart right now? Is there something difficult that you're carrying and you're not sure if you can carry it anymore? I want you to take a posture before God. Maybe for you, if it's a heavy burden, maybe you just hold out your hands like this as we sing, and you just offer it to the Lord in humility. Say, God, I need you. Would you take this burden? Would you help me? Would you carry it? Or would you just take it off of me? Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're feeling convicted right now. Maybe you're thinking, there is a habit, there's a hang-up, there's something, there's a pattern in my life, there's something that I know just needs to come out in the open. Maybe you need to get on your knees your chair and actually repent. Maybe you're angry at God today or at somebody else. Maybe your posture is just a clenched fist. Maybe you stand here like this for me. And as we sing this song and you give it to God and you say, God, I'm angry and here's why, maybe he'll help you unclench your fists. Maybe he'll release you. Are you sad today? Maybe you just need to sit down and bury your face in your hands and say, God, I don't know this joy or salvation that they sing about in the song, but I want it. Would you give it to me? Would you help me find it? Take a moment, just be honest. If you need help praying, find someone with a lanyard on or something. But otherwise, let this be a moment between you and God where maybe for the first time you actually tell what's really on your mind, what you really feel like. Okay? So, Lord, we come to you today with our honest hearts, not with some, I don't know, buttoned-up Sunday morning version of it. I'm talking about the 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday when nobody's looking version. Lord, would you help us to come before you in humility but also courage, knowing that you are a good Father, who when we ask you for bread, you don't give us a stone. Lord, whether we're feeling angry or we're feeling sad or we're feeling jealous or we're feeling burdened, would you come and you minister to us in that place and start to give us your heart? 
take us now, Jesus, we pray.